there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm really, really excited for today's guest. This is a longtime marketer. This is a person who's worked agency side. He's uh, worked brand side. I'm sure he's probably done his own things, but he's just been been there, done that in a lot of ways. He's super energetic and super passionate about marketing, and he's a leader with with decades of experience. Uh, he is currently SVP of marketing and sales at Cognition Financial, and I think that it's going to be an amazing episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Andrew Kling. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate being here today. Absolutely. I know that we've got a lot of awesome stuff to share with everyone listening today, but you know that we like to cut right to the chase and we like to hear some of your best secrets right out of the gate. So lay it on us, man. What's what's one of your best like go-to secrets that just drives a lot of wins for you? Yeah, man. I think for me, for me, Chris, I think it really comes down to better data and trying to understand, um, you know, it, it gets super easy to focus on the front end metrics, right? Like what's, what's your cost per lead? You know, how much is, you know, how much are you, um, driving from a lead generation standpoint? And, you know, when you start to see those leads come in, it's, it's very, by its very nature, it's, it's, it's exciting to sort of see and get engaged with. Um, but it's also really important to think about, you know, from a data perspective, um, how am I doing through the funnel and what am I doing to test and learn and optimize and how am I measuring all the way from that initial lead to, um, what actually is a conversion and a purchase, you know, whether that's a purchase, mm-hmm. whether that's a meeting, you know, um, whether that's a long-term sale, how am I, how am I getting to that ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think in today's marketplace, it's more challenging than ever. I mean, you're starting to see some pretty big shifts, um, with a focus on privacy of the individual, whether that's on the business side or the consumer side, that are really making us sort of think about less about lead generation and and more about the relationship. So mm-hmm. how are you continuing to keep people engaged? How are you segmenting and nudging folks through the funnel? You know, are there any particular sources that are higher quality as far as res- results go? Mm-hmm. And what content is driving conversion through that funnel and nudging people along? How are you reducing friction? You know, can you identify the friction points in your funnel where people may be getting stuck and find new ways to sort of new messaging or new creative or um, new opportunities to open up those places or move people past them? So if Um, I'm hearing you right, so it sounds like you're basically saying, hey, us marketers have a tendency to get really excited like when the lead comes in and we're like, woohoo, we got a bunch of leads, but we don't do a very good job sometimes following them all the way through to the sale. Yeah. And that really requires good data. Um, and so being able to, you know, have have sort of a full view of of 
you know, um, your funnel from from what sources are driving are coming in and then how they're moving through that how those how those leads are moving through the funnel um to your ultimate conversion um really comes down to how am i able to visualize data and understand the 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 data along that funnel so i agree with you in general i think that there's a lot of meat on the bone still so to speak like for as much as we optimize the front end, like the traffic and the campaigns and the targeting and you know all these different things, and even the landing pages, I think that there's a lot mm-hmm. of like room for improvement on the post conversion. Uh, why why do you think that's the case? Like why is is it just because it's difficult, or is it because like marketers t- are just so hyper focused? Is it the way that we're compensated or? measured like why do you think that's such a rampant problem i mean i think it is kind of all of the above right like you end up you know you do have teams that are compensated based upon the number of leads or the the volume of leads that are coming in the door or the cost per lead that's coming in or the cost per marketing qualified lead right um and and not really focused on what's the ultimate goal and um it's hard uh with so many different sort of channels out there and and places where you can generate volume whether it's from affiliate marketing social search email you know direct mail tv radio you know you've got a pretty fragmented marketplace and trying to pull all that data together uh and and look at the touch points along your own funnel to conversion and being able to say okay this is a radio lead how is it converting what does it cost me how many of them convert and um ultimately is this a a good channel for me to be to be in that can be challenging at times and you know honestly i think we're also pretty prone to if it doesn't work once moving on uh, and I think there are times when some channels deserve um, better exploration. And I've sort of, you know, always cautioned my team uh, and, you know, my the CFOs that I've worked with who look at cost per lead, um, you know, or or further down the funnel, cost per conversion and, and cost per sale, um, to not just sort of see um, that initial test as you know, as, as codified, right? Cause mm-hmm. sometimes channels need more exploration. Uh, and sometimes you may have a channel that over that, that costs really high on the lead, uh, from a lead perspective, but on the back end, when you're, when you're way down the funnel and you finally get to that cost per sale, um, actually looks pretty good. Um, you that's know? fascinating. And, I want to talk so, about exploring channels in a little more detail, but before yeah. we switch to that topic what's something like fairly simple and fairly actionable and fairly easy that folks could do right now to get to a place where they are doing a better job of measuring understanding and optimizing toward everything that happens like after the form submission or after the phone call yeah i mean i think that's a great question and that really comes down to making certain that you know, you ha- you as a marketer have, um, you know, really a source of truth that you're referring to, um, yeah. and and consistently looking at data, sort of on a daily, daily, weekly basis to understand 
how those numbers are coming in and what they look like. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not a real, you know, we don't live in sort of a set it and forget it sort of world anymore. And, yeah. and so being able to be on top of those numbers, you know, understand what they mean um, and, and refer to them frequently um, not only sort of can help improve your program, but it also identifies issues more quickly and allows yeah. you to troubleshoot if an issue does arrive. Yeah. And you probably would have said, this is very elementary. I'm sure you like, you might've thought like, Hey, this is too easy, but we love UTM parameters and we yep. love tagging our links and we love like the UTM grabber where like, you know, it'll, it'll parse that, that first touch UTM and just save it like as a yep. cookie, you know, first party cookie and then post it to CRM like that. Plus the last touch. I think having those UTM parameters like just like in CRM, like on the record, so you can just search like, hey, UTM equals Facebook. Show me all my Facebook. Yep. I think that's 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 the key. No matter what channel, what creative, um, you know, making certain that each individual creative is tagged, making certain each channel has its own sort of nomenclature and that you're able to understand it, review it, and, and really um, translate it into a meaningful... Um, results that you can then communicate out to the organization and make decisions on is super helpful. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not a perfect solution. It's still really tricky because yeah. you still get a lot of like, Hey, saw your ad on Facebook and then just Google searched you, you know? <laughs> so like that'll show up as Google organic, but really it was influenced from Facebook. Yeah. But that's fascinating, man. I, we could talk for hours on end about this stuff. Um, I want really quickly before we get into to your day-to-day -day world, let's talk about channel exploration because that's mm -hmm. something that we do a lot of. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes clients will say, they'll be like, let's spend a thousand bucks and see what happens. Or let's spend 5,000 bucks and see what happens. And we'll reluctantly be like, okay, you know, let's try it. And so we'll set up, you know, our, the best campaign we can within the time that we have and then sometimes it'll work and be encouraging and other times it won't work and it's not encouraging and then usually the clients will say hey let's forget about quora altogether or you know whatever the channel is right mm -hmm. how do you guys approach channel exploration i like that term yeah that's a great question chris for me uh i like to think of it as not necessarily channel exploration exploration but budget exploration. And so I, I tend to live by, and it, it's dependent upon size of budget and, you know, your category to a certain extent, you have to decide sort of what's right for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to think of having some form of, you know, 10 to 20% of my budget in testing at all times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think for me, if that means we're continuing to just sort of hammer away, at, you know, that testing budget's for testing. And that means, you know, on the first shot, if we haven't made, to use your example, core work, you know, you know, it, it still has, you know, it may still have life in it. So we continue to use that budget and continue to explore how we could potentially get that to work, especially if we know things like competitors are there or our target audience is there. You know, if they if they're there, you know, you know, usually there's a way to find a path forward in that yeah. in that opportunity. And I think, you know, 
it's real easy to sort of say, okay, we spent a thousand bucks. That's all I was willing to bet. And um, I need to let it go. Um, and, you know, if you're looking at it and you do have, you know, customers and competitors there, you know, they're, they're probably finding a way to make it work. So there's an opportunity there and you need to continue to explore it and using 10 to 20% of your budget, I think is a fair risk. It also helps your program continue to grow, uh, and expand. Um, and as marketers, we like that, you know, we like the idea that, you know, we can continue to grow our budget and keep it productive. Um, but we're only going to know if we can do that by testing um, new channels on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So 10 to 20% of the budget. I like your concept of like, they are there, like the buyers are there on that platform. There yeah. must be some way. Like we will figure it out. We will change the targeting. We will mess with the pixel. We will, you know, try wacky ads if we have to. Yeah. That's awesome. I think some of it too, like, you know, you can't just look at the at the response to get to get to your your point earlier about how do you start to look at, at and explore channels that may not have a metric that's directly attributable, right? How do how do you look at indirect um, opportunities. And so, you know, if you're using a mass channel like radio or you're, you know, a mass channel like TV, or you're at a trade show, or you happen to be working with a social influencer, right? Using, um, sort of, uh, you know, using, using indirect data. So site traffic and what happens on your site during those events, um, or just shortly after those events occur, can really help make you help you make a decision around um, whether or not this should stay in the media mix or move out of the media mix. Interesting. So expand on that a little bit. What do you mean? Like, what would you see in site traffic, like with the successful? Like, what would be encouraging? Yeah, I mean, if I saw a spike in data, and if I <clears throat> if I saw a spike in site traffic and more lead form fillouts um, when I was at a particular trade show, or mm, if I, I or if I aired on a podcast that I know my audience listens to, um, you know, if I saw a, a, a spike in site traffic around the time the podcast aired, and then potentially more lead form fillouts, you know, yeah. I might say, okay, there's something to explore here. Let's go ahead and continue to air on this podcast and and see what happens during that time. I see. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. Well, I have a hundred questions for you, man. But tell me, uh, if you can think of any stories like where you guys have posted some some wins or achieved some sort of a lift, like by either channel exploration or like looking post the lead form submission. Because those are the two things we've been talking about. You know, I think a few of the big wins are um, one understanding the value of potentially mass channels or or um, newer channels like social or social influencers, and um, you know, really, um, you know, I'll sort of speak to something I had a client when I was agency side. Uh, and you know the cost on a CPM basis for TV um, is extraordinarily high, and you know I think um, there were there were 
extremely conservative in how they approached their marketing. They didn't have a tremendous amount of budget and, and, um, you know, for me, you know, it, it, it took a lot of sort of convincing, um, or took a lot of, it took a lot of support about their audience and where their audience was to sort of get them to agree to, you know, a $10,000 test of, um, television. And, um, you know, I think what we learned, first of all, was that, um, you know, air TV, uh, and, um, you can see an explosion of site traffic. And especially if you have a good solid product and this was a, you know, this, this was a product, not a service. Um, and, you know, we literally saw site traffic increase sixfold. Um, and you know, we, we didn't see the same happen with lead forms. Right. But, but we did see, um, you know, lead, lead submissions immediately post those airings double by two X and, you know, from a, from, you know, from a data perspective, we were able to look at, you know, lead forms submitted in the time post the, um, airings and whether or not those people eventually converted, um, using their, you know, essentially their name, email address, phone number, and seeing if those folks eventually converted. Um, Mm. and it, and it turned out that on a, on a cost per basis, um, you know, over the top television actually performed very well. Um, and in some ways, you know, performed as well as search, which is sort of a down funnel, um, um, metric too. Um, and so, so, you know, we were able to look at, you know, what would happen with those leads and the eventual conversion. Um, we also did go back and look at our branded search traffic too, and mm-hmm. saw a spike in that and saw people coming in from search, um, from our branded terms. And we're able to use that as part of the analysis too, in the end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I that's think that's interesting. That's a nice, that's a nice win when you can, especially when you're agency side and your client side and you can sort of, or, or agency side and you're talking with clients and you can say, you know, Hey, look, you know, we don't have direct evidence that the, this, this, um, these spot, you know, this, these commercials worked, but at the same time, um, you know, we can tell that video works by using more indirect evidence and see the, con- the, you know, sort of conversion on the back end. That's fascinating. Wow. So for 10,000 bucks, you six X the traffic and two X the lead forms. Yeah. And that probably, uh, like showed as a spike, like it was probably like a big spike and then it stopped like a couple days later or whatever it was. Yeah. The tail is pretty short on it, but you can, <laughs> you know, you definitely see the search traffic and the, the site traffic increase upon airing. Well, and the search traffic is really fascinating too, because like that, so like just to, to bring it back for the listeners. So there's, say you're running display, like you run display, you're going to see a spike in traffic, but usually it's like pretty low quality traffic. Like it's not Mm going to convert at a high rate, but with TV or OTT or CTV, you get some of that, like you get that same traffic spike 
and some of it might be low quality, but then some is going to turn around and Google you. And that, mm-hmm. that brand search traffic probably converts at like 10% or 15%. Yeah. Just like other branded search traffic. Yeah. So that's maybe really the, the hidden value of those like mass awareness style channels that are the bane, you know, like there's a lot of performance folks out there that are like, why are you doing that? Like you can't track it. But then some of the biggest brands in the world you see are always, you know, advertising in these channels, even though they can't track it. And that's probably, I guess, the reason why. Yeah. And then I'll give you, go go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, yeah, that is why direct benefit and lift their business when they're on TV versus off. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll give you another one, which is directly related to where I'm at now, which is, you know, um, student loan lending is a seasonal business. So, you know, we really see our peak in the month of July and August. Uh, mm-hmm. And we see a mini peak just sort of post Christmas and into January. And so, um, you know, if you're just looking at the, cost per acquisition numbers and and you're trying to make decisions about what works in that time first of all if you're just on for six weeks in the summer and just on for six weeks in the winter like you're you're not going to do a lot of business um and so you know we're we're doing two things right now which is you know we've got um a sweepstakes that we use as sort of our evergreen content for year-round lead generation Mm -hmm. And the big win there is that, um, you know, as we, as, as that sweepstakes, you know, people raise their hands as interested in learning about, you know, how to pay for college and how to do it responsibly and learning re- the, the, um, the role of student loans in how you pay for college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then they also get sort of an introdu- a soft introduction to our brands. And we have, we have found that, you know, by maintaining contact and keeping folks engaged through our sweepstakes and the the site content around, you know, how to pay for college in a smart and intelligent way. Um, And in conjunction with our loan brands, we found that that's reduced our cost per book loan by about 50%. Wow. The sweepstakes more so or the um, educational content or the combo of both? The combo of both. Um, We're able to generate leads using the sweepstakes um, in a very cost-effective manner. And then those leads are pretty well qualified because people are interested in how to pay for college. Right. Um, And then, you know, transitioning them or doing a handoff to a loan brand, you know, has, has been a successful solution here. Wow. That's interesting. Um, I should probably try that. So it's like, basically, the playbook is a really juicy offer because the sweepstakes is really juicy. It's it's probably like, hey, we'll pay. You know, we're going to pay for somebody's first year of college. You know, some lucky winner. Right. So you get leads for probably a dollar or two, and then you just nurture them with that educational content, and that's not only a way to keep them engaged, but also it's going to throw off a lot of signals, like who's interested, who's not, like who's reading, who's clicking these emails, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, in today's sort of shifting marketplace, right, where privacy is on the rise, you know, having that sort of initial lead come in in a very cost-effective way and then being able to build a relationship and 
you know, identify who's truly interested and getting them to then convert is super important. Yeah. That's awesome. That's pretty fire, Andrew. I will tell you. Thanks. I'm going to go check out your funnels right after this. <laughs> but hey, um, so let's talk a little bit more about cognition. Yeah. Uh, what are what are some of your challenges that you're going through? Like what's keeping you up at night? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is um, search and the cost of search. You know, we on the on the student loan side, um, you know, there's some pretty big competitors. You look at like the Sally Mays of the world, most of the banks, um, and and they're already spending a fair amount in search and driving mm-hmm. lead cost up. And then you also have um, affiliates, right? So you have folks like Nerd Wallet uh, and and other affiliates who, you know, really are in the business of just building traffic to their site. And, you know, for them, they're, they're the way that they're monetizing it is they are selling spaces on, um, you know, essentially ranking people in the marketplace, right. right. And then letting con- driving consumers to their site, um, as you know, as you know, they position themselves as the expert and from there, you know, um, you know, that lead traffic eventually converts to one of the folks that they're recommending on their site. And yeah. so they're getting paid on the back end. And so, you know, both affiliates and some of our larger competitors continue to drive the cost per acquisition and search up. Um, and we've seen it just um, explode, particularly in the last two and a half years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that that's sort of our biggest challenge and that's why we moved to a model where we can have more evergreen content and a sweepstakes where you know you've got hand raisers but in a more um cost effective lead gen cost yeah and the nerd wallets of the world like by sending traffic to those top 10 listing style pages they probably have better landing page engagement you know uh, lower and and essentially lower click costs. Yeah, and yeah. then they're and then they're making money like instantly on the back end. So they're probably paying ten bucks a click and making like twelve or fifteen or twenty. You know? Oh yeah, definitely. So interesting. So um, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. But I think your technique sounds like a sounds like a winner because if you, you can pay the same amount for a click, but with a sweepstakes offer like that'll convert really high too and also get like really good engagement scores. Yeah. Are your are your competitors running stuff like that? Yeah, pretty much everybody is now. Um, mm. you know, our 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 site is you know smartborrowing.org has been around since 2007. Mm. Um and um you know that that's been a focus you know getting people to really think about how to borrow smart for college has been a focus of this company for a long, long time. Uh, and helping kids find new ways to pay for college has been a focus of this company for a long, long time. Um, but I think, you know, you've seen a lot of people adopt that um, same strategy and, yeah. you know, because it works. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like there's probably room to innovate because like some, some innovative, chap maybe it was you came up with the sweepstakes offer 
And then now everybody's doing it. So it's like, what's the next offer? Like, what's the next like <laughs> angle? Yeah, I think, you know, what we've, you know, I mean, I think it comes down to also, um, you know, I think the good news is, is that having a sweepstakes um, that provides some form of scholarship or, you know, tuition reimbursement um, is a great strategy. And I think, you know, the jury is still out. You know, we have competitors out there who offer $100,000 or paying for an entire year of college and things like that. And I think, you know, what, what we found is that you can sort of work with, um, you know, you can work with your own program and your own metrics and still um, generate good qualified leads um, without having to go too extravagant. But I think you're right. Like there's an opportunity to do something more um, and hopefully, um, you know, we'll be the ones to launch that and find yeah. the next thing that drives drives more volume, more cost-effectively outside of search. Yeah. Have you heard of the law of shitty click-throughs? <laughs> no. What's the law of shitty click-throughs? I don't know who came up with it, but it's it's essentially a concept of like, somebody innovates you know and comes up with something then every and it works extremely well for a, for a short period of time but then over time as all the copycats come like the clicks start getting shittier and shittier yeah <laughs> makes sense right things degrade over time yeah but andrew i'm uh i'm loving this combo i wish we had like two more hours but um take us through like a a brief sort of chronology of your you know career to date like how did you arrive at where you are like what were your steps along the journey yeah i mean i think um you know i think i'm i'm lucky to a certain extent i've i've grown up in brand and performance marketing since the start of my career um you know i i i graduated uh you know from a small liberal arts college in the in the Midwest and moved to the Northeast and was lucky enough to get a job at an agency uh, here in Boston, um, primarily focused on PR in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, was always interested, you know, I mean, I think, you know, our generation is one of the first that really focused on digital. And so at that agency, we had a, a digital group and a, and a direct marketing group, and they sort of worked hand in hand. And I was able to move over that group and got engaged in early age, just in, in focused on like, how are we driving results? You know, basically taking, um, sort of the, the, um, you know, the, 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 structure architecture for direct marketing and applying it to digital um that was circa when like early 2000s kind of no it was uh, (laughs) to put a date on it it would have been about uh 1996 wow so So you were early to the game yeah that's even earlier than me (laughs) well i guess i just dated myself so um so i i so, um, you know, I moved from the, I, so I, I worked at that agency for a couple of years, moved to another agency, um, that at the time was owned by Arnold, uh, and, um, 
in the 2000, early 2000s, that agency was absorbed up into Arnold and became Arnold One. Um, and that's where I got my first sort of experience with um, um, not just digital, but also TV and how TV can start to impact performance. And then um, I actually, when I left Arnold, I went and worked at a Skunk Works at um, Fidelity eBusiness. And um, at that point in time, in 2005, we were focused on how do you use Web 2.0 concepts and apply them to um, you know, digital applications, you know, tools, things like that um, to, you know, just explore them and, and see what worked, you know, um, and, and what was useful and what provided value to the organization and to the, to the end users. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I actually did my first stint at cognition. Then I took a job started on, well, I took a job at what was then called first Marvel head corporation. And that was really my first brand job. And my job was to take some of those two web 2.0 concepts and, um, work with some proprietary brands and test them and test new channels, test things like TV and see how they performed. Um, and, um, you know, we found that they, they performed very well. (laughs) And so those brands grew very, very quickly. And at that point in time, most of, of cognition or first Marvel heads business was focused on white labeling, loan products for financial institutions. So the chases of the world, the, the citizen banks of the world, et cetera. And, um, you know, these proprietary brands we found perform very well on their own um, for a lot of reasons. You know, they, they utilized, they were, they were more digitally focused. Um, they used tri- TV and search as sort of the pitch catcher sort of relationship at, which worked very well at that point in time. Uh, and they were very focused on speaking in the voice of the, the consumer. You know, bank brands have their own voice. It's a very fixed voice. And we were able to speak more directly with students and parents at that point in time. And we saw the three brands at the time, Astrive Student Loans, Monticello, and Laurel, grow very quickly. Um, and then I left to go to Havas during the first financial crisis that, you know, started in 2008, but really impacted our business in 2009, 2010. So I went back to an agency called Havas Edge um, that of course is, you know, um, a, you know, it's an agency that's very focused on performance marketing uh, and, um, you know, ran a strategy group that was, you know, sort of located across um you know, they were sort of geographically dispersed, both East, West Coast, and Central. And, um, you know, it was there for a fair amount of time and then was asked to come back here to um, take over marketing and sales. And that's sort of interesting. So that was my um, so you kind trajectory. Of keep, you kind of keep <laughs> going back and forth from the dark side. Like you go agency and then brand and then agency and then brand. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the great thing about that has been that um, there's a lot to learn on the agency side. You know, the, you know, agencies are focused on how do you, how do they, how do you, you know, they're focused on helping you grow your business. Right. And, um, you know, they are plugged into um, 
more channels than I myself or my team at my scale could manage. And so being able to leverage their expertise and knowledge and, you know, find new opportunities um, has been invaluable client side, but then going back to an agency certainly expands, um, you know, you know, expands the opportunity for, you know, not only to, to work with different brands and different categories in, you know, both B2B and direct to consumer and B2C. Um, but it also then allows you to bring sort of a larger team to bear on, on, you know, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's media or whether it's, you know, content strategy and social, um, or, um, whether it's, um, analytics uh, analytics data. yeah analytics data or even um um you know um well yeah so analytics data like having the opportunity to work with you know much larger teams um and get exposure to more brands you know getting an understanding of how those um channels how channels perform for brands has been invaluable yeah that's amazing, man. Well, hey, if you ever get the itch and you want to come back <laughs> agency side, you know who to call. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. So um, that's that's really awesome. What do you like to do for fun? How do you stay? Um, how do you how do you avoid burnout? I'll put it like that. Uh, that's a great question. I think um, I'm a cyclist, so I spend a lot of time on the back of a bike. Um, uh, manager for my son's hockey team, which keeps me pretty busy and hopping too, uh, and, um, do a lot of travel, sort of explore, you know, explore new places with my family, new countries, find, you know, opportunities to sort of unplug from work and, you know, here, um, bought the Boston area and, and get away. Nice. That's awesome. What are some of your uh recent and or like favorite destinations? Uh you know, I think favorite dest destination is uh the Philippines. I've been a lot. I have a bunch of friends over there and I like to go visit them. Um I haven't taken the kids yet, but that's on tap. Wow. The most recent destination was Honduras. Uh went oh, there wow. last April um and did some diving. Which was wow. Awesome. Okay. That's more exotic. I thought you were thinking like, we're going to go to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> well, ask me again in a month when winter set in here uh, <laughs> in the Northeast and you make money yeah. in Florida. Cool. Well, I got two other quick questions for you just from the grab bag of questions. One of my favorites, if you were to start a side hustle, what would that side hustle be? You know, I think it would probably be, um, you know, if I were to start a side hustle, that side hustle would probably be um, using the knowledge that I've gained in marketing to start my own business and, uh, you know, sell some, some form of product that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, find a way to move the needle for it. Yeah, you could be in a. You could probably be an affiliate, just like put up a nice sweepstakes offer and run <laughs> run Pinterest traffic to it. Exactly, and sell them to the sell them to Fannie Mae or whoever. Yeah, there you go. 
Um, okay. And then the other one is uh, books or influential reads that have had a big impact on your life or influencers even like I love Peter Drucker, for instance. Yeah, I'll give you. So um, there are two books that I love and continue. Um, um, so, so there are two books that I, I love and I continue to recommend to, um, you know, interns, you know, new employees um, and, and ask them to read them if they're excited to read them. And one is um, one is called Fumbling the Future, which is essentially how Xerox created the personal computer and um, totally dropped the ball on it. Uh, and the other one is Dealers of Lightning, which is also about Xerox. Uh, and um, it's really about the Palo Alto Research Center and the creation of Park and Park and why it was important and what it did. Um, and it, it's an interesting sort of view of one company um, who wasn't in, you know, who basically was in a category. Um, you know, they were in the the business of copying things, right? And they really innovated in that. And they were the first to really explode onto the market and and grow a business and and had a very unique business model. And so um, you know, fumbling the future is really about the missteps that they took and something that could have migrated them away from just copiers. Uh and had, you know, and, and essentially, you know, cost them their future. But you know, Dealers of Lightning is really a book that focuses on, you know, the true focus on innovation at a company and and how, you know, you could potentially move a company forward using innovation and events, you know, research center and and finding new, exploring new ideas, new opportunities, and and um, moving your business forward, you know. Unfortunately, we all know where Xerox is today. So clearly execution is key <laughs> no, right. in, in that too, but um, they're both interesting reads. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely include those in the show notes uh, for everyone listening. If you enjoyed this, drop us a like, a comment, share with a friend. Andrew, it's been awesome having you. I really, really enjoyed it. I honestly, honest to God, could keep talking to you for two more hours and enjoy every minute of it. Appreciate it, Chris. It's been great speaking with you too. Yeah. Give us give us a little plug. Like uh, anybody that's listening, if they're in the market for student loans or if they want to learn more about you, uh, where can they go to find more? Uh, you know, they can go more to find out about us, uh, about Cognition Financial on our main website. We have two proprietary brands, um, Union Federal and um, Custom Choice Student Loans. I think um, both of those you know, if you're if you're if you're looking for a student loan right now, and you or you have a student that's in college right now, uh, we have some of the f- lowest fixed rates in the industry. Um, and um, check us out. Nice. All right, Andrew. Well, uh, thank you very much, man. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. 
Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days.